0: Welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys. My name is Leah, and I'm finally back with a new episode. It's been such a long time since I've recorded uh, uh, an episode. Uh, If it's your first time tuning in, a very warm welcome to you. A little bit of background about this podcast, it all started with me hosting my own radio show on St. Andrew's Radio Star when I started my undergraduate at the University of St. Andrews in 2017 and then at the start of 2019, I turned some of my live recordings into a podcast and Anchor which is what I have been doing until very recently. Um, however, this year in June 2021, I graduated from the University of St. Andrews with an MA in International Relations and Sustainable Development. Um, so since then, I'm no longer in St. Andrews and also don't host a radio show anymore. So I really had to think about what I'd like to continue, how I'd like to do this podcast and figure out this big life transition that I've been going through in this year. Um, So if you're not following any of my social media, you won't know. But um, a little over a month ago, I now moved to Edinburgh uh, and I've started my master in global environment and climate change law, which is a super exciting topic. I'm very grateful and excited um, about this new chapter. I'm really excited to share more about it as well. Um, But yeah, it's been quite a transition for me this year. Um, Just thinking about what I want to do, how best to balance life and my activism, especially because everything that I do is currently voluntary work and I'm in a state of life where I just have to be very intentional with what I do um, because probably one of my biggest weaknesses is, is taking on too much and still feeling like I don't do enough. Um, and yeah, on that, I really do want to speak more on this topic, share more of my personal journey and struggles, and some life lessons that I've learned and continue to learn. But yeah, that's not today's primary topic. Today, I want to talk to you about COP26 in Glasgow, what it is, why it's so important, how it relates to the Paris Agreement, what we need world leaders to do, and also share some interesting things that I learned the last few weeks and that I didn't really know before I started studying climate law. So hopefully. Um, yeah, there'll be some new things for you as well. I'm really grateful that you're here with me today, um, especially for everyone who stayed with me throughout the process and the break I've taken from radio and podcasts in the last few months. Um, But yeah, radio and podcasts have been such a fulfilling thing for me to do throughout my undergraduate and I really want to continue um, with this podcast. I'm very excited about future guests I will have on the show and to see where the journey will lead next. Okay, let's get into the topic of COP26. COP is the Conference of the Parties, which, under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, obliges states from around the world to meet on a yearly basis to discuss, find solutions to, and form treaties in a multilateral effort to address climate change. That's also how the Paris Agreement came about. And now, this year, at COP26 in Glasgow, states have to send in their national determined contributions also NDCs for short, stating their commitments to emission reduction. We only have nine years left to 2030, and in order to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, global efforts and ambition have to drastically increase. So what is it that we're asking world leaders to do at COP26? And what really even is the Paris Agreement? Is it legally binding? The Paris Agreement is very often held as a milestone in international climate negotiations. It's pretty much universally accepted and signed. And even though it's called an agreement, it's actually a treaty. That means that it has aspects to it um, that states are obliged to fulfill under international law. So it really isn't just a piece of paper with vague and empty commitments, but it carries political weight. However, the legal aspects of the Paris Agreement uh, reflect more procedural obligations that states have, rather than direct emission reduction obligations. So the procedural obligations are things like states having to send in their national term and contributions, NDCs, every five years to say how they will reduce their carbon emissions. However, for example, the content of these NDCs is not prescribed. So many would argue that uh, that's a weakness of the Paris Agreement. Um, But nonetheless, it's the best outcome that could have happened back in 2015 when the Paris Agreement was negotiated. Um, Actually, really interesting story about that. um, Because the Paris Agreement really had to take into account the political situation in the US at the time to ensure that the US could be a signatory to the treaty. Um, And that's directly related to the constitutional law of the U.S., which requires two-thirds of the Senate to advise and consent to a presidential decision to make a treaty. Um, However, at the time in 2015, the U.S. Senate was strongly Republican, filled with climate skeptics. So that was a major international challenge in order to ensure that the U.S. could be part of the agreement. In fact, the Paris Agreement is the first major multilateral treaty that was openly negotiated to conform to the needs of one party's constitutional order. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that before. And I think that's really interesting to think about and also highlights just how incredible it was that the Paris Agreement managed to overcome some pretty major international hurdles, but in the end of the day, um, still come out with a form of a treaty. um, And yeah, a treaty that's not completely fully legally binding and That is also built on a bottom-up structure of commitments, but a treaty nonetheless. Um, Overall, the Paris Agreement sets out um, the goal to keep global warming um, well below 2 degrees Celsius and to pursue efforts to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, This 1.5 degrees was an especially important negotiation point for states, um, like the low-lying and small island developing states, whose existence and livelihood is threatened Um, and for them two degree warming is simply too much and I think we really have to be aware of that and also of tipping points in the earth ecosystem that will really make a habitable future on earth difficult so it's not just like it's a bit warmer on earth but it's a whole ecosystem challenge and as a result um, the livelihoods of people and the habitability of places on earth are under threat So it's absolutely critical that we stay within this 1.5 degrees and uh, that Glasgow really has been labelled as a last chance for our planet to ensure that we can reach that goal. Um, So that's what also makes it so critical, um, that discussion that is taking place end of October, starting November um, in Glasgow. Just a little bit of a more breakdown what are actually NDCs, so national term contributions. And um, like I said, the submission of NDCs is legally binding commitments that state have made through signing and ratifying the Paris Agreement. Um, and they must be updated every five years. Um, so that really should have been from the Paris Agreement, the next one should have been 2020. But obviously, because of the pandemic, um, that was postponed, the COP was postponed to this year. And that's also why the NDCs were. Um, yeah, given another yet before having to be submitted. There's no clear prescribed structure of the NDC, which actually makes them quite difficult to compare because states have very different baseline targets uh, and also a different focus on their content. So some states, um, such as the EU, uh, well, the EU submitted their um, NDCs together, the EU states, but are very... Um, detailed in their NDCs, whereas other states will be less detailed in what they're planning to do um, and what the NDCs are. So, yeah, that's something interesting to note as well. Um, and also the fact that actually states are obliged to scale up the NDC. So it's a ratchet up mechanism. They cannot commit to less than they already committed to in their previous NDC. So, yeah, granted that the NDCs from Paris Agreement were really not very ambitious that were made back then in 2015. Um, and they really they don't even currently, from calculations, they do not keep the world below two degrees even. But at least there's a mechanism in place to scale them up um, and to increase ambition. I think that's a really critical um, decision structure that was taken um, at Paris. Um, it's not just states making a, a one-off commitment saying, okay, well, this is our target for the next um, 20, 50 years. Um, and that's it. Um, and, and that is also then obviously dangerous because if it's not high, it's not high enough, then um, yeah, we're kind of set in that. And I think that wretched-up mechanism of states having to increase their ambition for their NDCs is something really interesting. And it's I think overall the NDCs are a pretty significant feature and they contribute to the unique structure of the Paris Agreement. Um, but I also think they have a lot of potential even though the content is not... Um, Prescribed, and obviously states have some leeway in what they put in there and the commitments that they make but they do have to increase over time and that is part of that legally binding agreement so yes, a lot of things to discuss at COP26 um, and a lot of things to watch out for with regards to what countries have submitted Um, technically they all have to submit their NDCs prior to the negotiation starting I think there's still a few states which haven't which is obviously problem hopefully they still will Um, but also if not that needs to be discussed in terms of what measures will be taken because technically that's a treaty breach so that's something interesting to look at for um, just under what they signed with the Paris agreement and, and under international law. I mean there are quite a few topics that will be discussed in Glasgow but there's also actually a major negotiation decision that is still left from Paris and that's article 6 of the Paris agreement and that's still left in order to actually finance the Paris rulebook and it's about market mechanisms for carbon reduction and setting up a robust climate financing mechanism that can increase ambition and also states accountability for climate action. I mean it was already previously discussed in 2019 at the COP that took place in Madrid in Spain Um, however negotiations did not progress to find a solution to finalize that rulebook and I think it it's really something that we need to watch out for for COP26 because any market-based mechanisms really need to be carefully set up and considered in order to be effective. Um, and if these mechanisms aren't set up well, it could result in double counting of emissions, making it seem like double the amount of carbon is being reduced than what actually is. So it's not just about setting up any market mechanism, but making sure that it's also fair and effective and will help the world progress towards um, carbon reductions and towards reaching the 1.5 degree target. So my plea to leaders is is to be ambitious. This COP is absolutely critical if we want to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. It needs to be a transformational meeting. uh, In my sense, sort of a new Bretton Woods that completely changes and sets our financial system to support the massive transition that we need to undergo. And I, yeah, I think market mechanisms are absolutely critical for that as well. However, there are also some key subjects that I think overall do need attention at COP26. Obviously, there's so much. Um, I think that's sometimes what makes it difficult, but also exciting when talking about sustainability and climate action, that there's just, there's so much to it. Um, and it's a complex topic, so there's a lot of things that interlink. Um But one topic that I've become really passionate about is loss and damage, which refers to both financial and technical support for countries that are already suffering under the effects of climate change, specifically developing countries. Um, And yeah, over the summer, I actually worked um, with an international group called the Scotia Group, and together with fellow students from high profile universities from around the world, we set up a policy memo on the topic of loss and damage, both for COP26 and COP27, um, which will be the follow-up cop which is likely to be held in Egypt. The idea behind that is to sort of set up um, a mechanism to really more effectively address this topic area. That has been discussed as long as the cops have taken place, but which limited progresses has been made towards. Um, yeah, well, I really... The the has not formally been published yet, but hopefully it will be out soon. And if you'd like to hear more about this topic area, but also all the Scotia group in general, do let me know. Uh, and I will plan in a podcast and an interview about that in the future. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that will be something exciting, um, especially if that's something you as listeners are interested to hear more about. So have a look out for that. Yeah. Um, Another really critical point that I think needs to be discussed is agriculture and overconsumption of resources. So, yeah, our current mainstream model of agriculture is really not fit to deal with climate change. Um, It's actually making it a lot worse. It's taking the nutrient density out of our food. It's bringing out, it's leading us on a path that will make it increasingly difficult to meet the world's food demands. And it's just, kind of scary looking at sort of what is at stake with um, things like agriculture and climate change Um, because our whole livelihoods depend on that in the world especially in such an interconnected world and yeah over the summer I also learned a lot more about regenerative agriculture and I'm really looking forward to speaking more about that on the podcast as well which I will do there is a um, podcast that I already did a little bit on soil and re, uh, regenerative agriculture, which you can find in my previous podcast. Um, so yeah, I can I can link that below as well. But I really want to update that and have a deeper discussion about cars. I learned a lot more about that over the summer, um, and I'd really love to dive deeper into this really important topic. The final point that I want to mention today, though, are nature-based solutions and the preservation of biodiversity. I know we talk a lot about carbon, specifically when we talk about climate change, but it is more than that. It's, it's This this crisis is also an ecological crisis, and we do need resilient ecosystems to withstand the large-scale changes that we're seeing. So yes, nature-based solutions are one of the topics that will be discussed. It's on the agenda for COP. Um, and I think some serious discussions need to happen around the, both the intrinsic and the extrinsic value of nature, of rainforests, and how, regardless of state sovereignty, every state depends on key ecosystems in the world, such as, for example, the Amazon rainforest. So, what agreements can be made to preserve those, and if need be, put a monetary value to preserve them, but also have some serious discussion around hard law measures against the destruction. Um, of key ecosystems in the world, um, including economic sanctions um, and the like for those that, yeah, do not respect that because our life really depends on it. So yes, we are at a critical, critical time in Earth history, um, which is sometimes really scary um, to look at and to watch. um, But hopefully we also don't forget the chance that we have through this to create a better world. Um, And I think, That's something that we can't take for granted. We are in this critical decade where we can still have a major impact on how the Earth will look in the future. And I really, really hope that world leaders understand the severity and the seriousness of that situation, the responsibility that they carry carry on their shoulders for our future. But yeah, and the future of all future generations and of all inhabitants on Earth yes that's it for today i thank you so much for tuning in i hope you learned something and that you are inspired to contribute to the success of cop 26 by helping put pressure on our governments and your representatives at cop uh, whether that is through sending letters writing raising awareness or joining protests Um, if you can do join a protest in some form or another Um, sign petitions help put pressure on delegate and country representatives to make this ambitious decision at COP for our future, to make this ambitious turnaround and really steer the boat towards a direction that will ensure a better and habitable planet for our future. So yeah, please help spread the message, share this podcast with those that you think might benefit or enjoy listening, learn something from this. Um, Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for tuning in. This was Eco-Activist Journeys. My name is Leah and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care and hope to speak to you again soon.